just read 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to read it again. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Talking about a mirror. This is saying as we look into the glory of God are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as we look into God's glory, we are changed from glory to glory. We got to know what it looks like. We got to know what the glory of the new covenant looks like to become changed by it, to look into it. And I'm going to read this passage from 2 Corinthians here in a moment where Paul is writing to the New Testament believers at the church in Corinth. They're under the same covenant we're under, right? Jesus came, died for us, rose again, forgave us of our, forgave us of our sins. His righteousness has now been accounted to us. This is our covenant with God. They were under this same covenant. And Paul writes to them and says, the old covenant, the law, was glorious, yet it ended in death. This new covenant of grace gives life. He doesn't even talk about it ending because it doesn't. He says it goes on for eternity. Instead of giving death, leading to death, it gives life. But then he says this. This is my paraphrasing. Then I'll read it. He says, however, when we look to the law of God, when we look to the old covenant, the law, the do's, the don'ts, when we look to that as a part of our relationship with God, it is like putting blinders over our eyes that stop us from seeing the truth. Now that's powerful because there are a lot of New Covenant, New Testament believers in this world, meaning Christians, who still try to live by the religion and the law of the Old Covenant. And the two just don't mix. And even just a little bit of law spoils the whole thing. Uh, Mike Cavell, one of the elders here, is an amazing chef. And years ago, he got really into making cobblers. And I was glad because they were good. And y'all know, if you know me, I'd rather have a plate of dessert than anything else uh, ever. I just love sugar, however it gets delivered. I was telling somebody this week, my mom, Used to, when we and Tia would take medicine as kids, Tia can vouch for me. We would also get a spoonful of sugar because that helps the medicine go down. We would literally, she'd put a spoonful of sugar on the counter and we'd take medicine and then just eat pure sugar. Uh, wisdom from Mary Poppins that I guess was brought into the real world by Pastor Diane. In fact, you know, she's doing children's church today. All of your kids are getting spoonfuls of sugar. Um, so good luck. It's not even organic. It's just pure, good old-fashioned, chemical-based. No, it's not. She's not giving y'all kids. We don't give them sugar. But we really did. Well, Mike Cavell was into cobblers. Him and Mary had this beautiful garden, and they'd pick blueberries, and we'd get fresh blueberry cobblers. And one day, Mike pulled his cobbler out of the oven. It didn't look like his other cobblers. It looked like blueberry soup. It was super soupy. It was, there was no breading. There was nothing that. And he said, I forgot to put salt in there. And I was like, really? And, and for whatever reasons, a baker in here can maybe tell me I'm remembering it different, but I'm pretty sure it was salt that he forgot to put into the cobbler. So he started another one from scratch, and I watched him. And when he got to the salt, he literally just put a little pinch of salt in his fingers and threw it in the pretty big tray. And I was like, well, there's no way that's, that's enough. And he said, that's all you need. He put the cobbler in the oven and like an hour later, it looked like a real cobbler. The, the bread part had risen. It just needed the tiniest bit of salt, even though it was kind of a lot of cobbler. 
Well, in a different way, a little bit of the law actually spoils the message of grace and the gospel of Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Man, I heard someone explain this one time, and I can see this in my own life. I have friends. Have you ever noticed this? You can just keep this in your heart. You don't have to say anything out loud. But have you ever noticed parents that raise their children in the most religious, law-strict environment Meaning they're told, if you cut your hair, God's not happy with you. If you go swim with the opposite sex, then you can't be in the same swimming pool. I know people that were that strict. You can't swim if you're a boy with girls. And girls and boys have to swim in different pools. And you tell people, you can't, if you even have a sip of alcohol, God turns his back on you. If you smoke a cigarette, you're going straight to hell. People that are raised that way, when those kids get older, I have seen those people go the absolute wildest. And let me tell you why. It's because they're told this causes the Lord to turn his back on you if you make a mistake. And then as they get older, hear me out on this. They make mistakes because we all do as humans. And they make that mistake and they reach out a little bit and they smoke that cigarette and they don't wake up the next morning in hell. In fact, they wake up the next morning and they still experience the love of God. Yet their mind says, oh, well, that was all a bunch of mess. I'm not going to hell now. And then they go a little bit further. Oh, I'm still experiencing the love of God. They may not think of it like that. Their brain might not say I'm still experiencing the love of God, but they're not waking up in hell. God's not up punishing them, throwing lightning bolts down, making their lives miserable. And they think, wait a minute, if that wasn't true, nothing they said was true. So they go as far as they can away and run away from the truth of the gospel of grace. Because a little bit of law spoils it. Does that mean we should just tell people they can do whatever they want? Absolutely not. We should tell them the truth. That sin and bad choices have consequences. And the word says it, and it's true. It leads to death. But there's a better way. Jesus came, died for us, and took care of the sin issue. There is no longer a barrier of sin in between the believer and God. Because it's been taken care of by Jesus. So let's tell people the truth. God loves you just as much on your worst day than on your best day. When Lisa spent four years, my wife Lisa, most of you know her, most of you have heard her testimony. If you don't know her, she was up here singing today on the keyboard. This, we've been married for 19 years, and the three or four years before we got together, she spent every ounce of her energy running away from the Lord. She grew up in a church a lot like ours. She had a relationship with Jesus. She knew the Holy Spirit. She'd prayed for people and seen miracles. She'd been going on mission trips her whole life with her parents. She'd seen the miraculous, yet she ran for whatever reason, and she ran away from all of it. And she said every day, she's given this testimony here. She woke up with one goal. How fast can I get high? How fast can I get high and stay high for the rest of the day? And man, part of her testimony that is the most powerful to me is laying in bed at night and in her own words, high yet experiencing the comfort and love of the Holy Spirit. So much so that out loud on multiple occasions, she would say, I need you to leave me alone. I would like for you to go. 
because I am not doing this right now. I'm just enjoying this high. And the response she got every time is, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm here right now and you can't get rid of me. That's powerful. That is powerful. You know what the word says? That it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Let's look at the life of Jesus who said, as Philip was doubting him, Jesus, we'd be satisfied if you would just show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And basically a summary is Jesus said, you have seen the Father. I can't show you the Father in any other way than I've already shown you. You're looking in the flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen him. I only do what I've seen him do. I only do and say what I heard him say. So let's look at the life of Jesus. You're not going to find one time when he stands in front of somebody and says, get everything right, and then you and I can spend some time together. He looked at the well-known sinner Zacchaeus and just said, I'm coming to your house. Didn't call him out for buying the food with stolen money. Didn't call him out for buying his home with stolen money. He didn't say, get that food away from me that was bought with dirty money. He sat there and he had a meal. And when he left, Zacchaeus said, I have had my life changed today. I'm going to give back everything I've stolen. That's important to remember because that's how this new covenant works. Keep that in mind. There are people that are still trying to get other people to get all of this stuff right. And once it's right, then now go to the father. And the father is just saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works anymore. I just want you now. Just come to me. Come to me, all who are weary. We're going to get to that. Uh, I'm going to read this passage and then I'm going to jump into this graph. And I think we'll just stay there for probably the rest of this morning. But 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 18. I read this just a few weeks ago. But I'm just going to read it again with a quick summary to lay some more groundwork. You ready? This is Paul writing to the people just like us in Corinth. People under the same covenant. These are Christians. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. So basically, if you think you're good enough, you're not. Paul's like, I'm not even good enough. None of us are on our own. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not written of laws, but of spirit. Why did he say that? Because the old covenant was all laws, do's, don'ts, from ceremonial do's and don'ts to physical uh, sin do's and don'ts, don't harm, all kinds of stuff. You read it. Most of you probably know it really well. Uh, the old covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life the old way with laws etched in stone. This is talking about the Ten Commandments and the other thousands of commandments led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses's face for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. So he's comparing the old covenant to the brightness of Moses's face as he received it. And he's saying just like the brightness of his face. If you don't know that story, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was literally glowing from being in the presence of the Lord. But it faded. And Paul is saying just like that glow from his face faded, 
the glory of that Old Testament law began to fade as soon as it was given. In the old way brings, if the old way brings condemnation, yet it was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of this new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. This is important. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. So Paul is saying there is a new way now, a new covenant through Jesus. Yet when believers go back and try to put this old covenant, the old ways of law from on themselves to on anybody else, he's saying it blinds your eyes to the new ways. There are people whose eyes have been blinded since the day they received salvation. Did they really receive salvation? Absolutely. If you believe in Jesus, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, then you are saved. But don't stop there. Go look into this glory and let yourself become changed from glory to glory. So here we go. This veil can be removed. This is the good news. Only by believing in Christ. Yet even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil. They don't understand but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away for the spirit, for the Lord is the spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You got to see it and look into it to reflect it. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So three takeaways here. There was an old covenant. It was the law. It was those 10 commandments, those thousands of things in the Old Testament, uh, ceremonial things to get right with God. You guys probably know this. People had to make physical sacrifices. They had to take lambs and slaughter them, spotless lambs that were a shadow and, and a pre prequel, I guess, to Jesus, who was the perfect spotless lamb, the last sacrifice we would ever need to make that would ever need to be made. It was based on our own good works. And now we have a new covenant that is based on the good and complete work of Jesus. In the old covenant, the work was never done. Because guess what? Just like us, they made mistakes all the time back then. And as soon as you made a sacrifice and the priest says, you're clean, your house has been forgiven. I mean, how many of y'all got in a fight right after church last week? Come on, right? Like we all, everybody does this, right? How many of us came all tensed up this morning? It was late. The sound wasn't right. And you have to send a text to your wife and say, I'm sorry, I wasn't mad at you. I'm just a little bit frustrated because of this sound system. How many of y'all that happened to you this morning, right? How many of us did that this morning? We make mistakes all the time, even when we don't realize it. And for those of us, Jesus spoke to those of us that think we're on our way, right? He said, hey, if you think you're doing pretty good, just let me point something out. If you've ever hated someone in your heart, you're a murderer. So stop thinking of yourself as better than the murderers. If you've ever lusted after one person in your heart, then you're an adulterer. So stop thinking that you're better than the adulterers. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of them all. That's how the law works. So as soon as you make that sacrifice and you mess up, time to prepare the next 
sacrifice. The old covenant was based on our good works. And as soon as we messed up, it was time for some more work. That is why Jesus, when he stretched his arms out, said it is finished because he completed that work. But we still, but we still get in that old mindset and go back to the altar to slaughter the lambs every day, some of us, with our guilt and our shame and our condemnation. And before we just go to the Lord and enjoy his presence, we go find somewhere like I used to do till I was 18 every night of my life and get down on our knees and say, Lord, I messed up again. I'm just dirt. I messed up again. And please forgive me. And please don't send me to hell. And please don't put curses on me. And God's just like, I don't do that. That's not who I am. You got it all wrong. Thank you, Jesus, that when I was 18, somebody told me that's not the nature of God. Because I didn't know. I got confused. I got confused. I tried to add that old law to this new covenant of grace, and it never settled well within me. It never felt right. But I just didn't know. So I hope if you don't know, you're going to know now. The old covenant was based on our good work. This new covenant is based on the good and complete work of Jesus. Something else Paul said here is that the new covenant only leads to life. It's a way for us to relate to God through our born-again spirit, and we will relate to him this way from now and even in a billion years from now when we're in heaven or wherever we are. This is still how we will relate to the Lord. Paul also told us that just like putting a veil over our eyes in the natural Looking into this old law and trying to live by it is like putting blinders on and refusing to see what Jesus did for us. Okay, so here, right before I show you these two graphs, I'm going to read one more verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. I taught an entire Sunday morning on this three weeks ago. So go listen to that podcast or watch the video uh, if you haven't seen it or you weren't here or this is foreign to you. But here's this truth from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And this is true of every human. There are three parts to us, right? There's three parts to us. Does that surprise anybody? We're made in the image of God who is a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So should it surprise anybody that just like God is a three-part God, we as humans are three parts. And this is not just a good thought. This is actually in the Word over and over again. Here it is in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul says, May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ, the one who called you, is completely dependable if he said it. He'll do it. That's an awesome verse right there. You should just write that one down, burn it into your brain, especially the last sentence. What if we just all live by that? If he said it, he'll do it. But what if, what if I haven't seen it yet? Well, if he said it, he'll do it. But I'm getting older now. Are you still alive? Are you still cooking? If he said it, he'll do it. Boy, that's good news. But here's a little secret from this verse as we look into it. God make you whole spirit soul and body. So those 45 minutes or 40 minutes of this three weeks ago, go listen to it. But here's the quick version, right? Spirit, soul and body, body, soul and spirit. Our body is obviously the part that we see in the mirror. It's the part sitting in that chair right there. You can feel it. You can experience it. Your body interacts with the world around you. It is this vehicle 
that the real us get around in for a few years while we're down here on earth. And then there are two other parts. There's not just an internal you and an external you. You got this body and then you got your soul, which can be defined as your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, your conscience. It's the inside part of you, right? It's the part of you that has relationship with people. I've known Austin for 10 years. He's a, a good friend over 10 years. I trust him with everything I got. We talk to each other. We open up to each other. We have a relationship that goes deep and it is within our personalities, our, our, our minds, our emotions. We willfully have this relationship. So our relationships with each other, and this is important, even with God, start right there in our soul. That's our personalities, the inside of us. And then there is a third part. And if you can understand this, it makes the entire gospel make so much sense. There is a spirit inside of you. It is the part of you that lives forever. It is the part of you that becomes born again. When Paul said, uh, when Jesus said, I make all things new. Think about this. Your body didn't become new when you received Jesus. You looked the exact same as you did uh, before you got saved. Right. This doesn't change the personality. Your personality doesn't change when you get saved. There's adjustments that are made in your personality simply because after you're saved, you're seeking Jesus. You have a relationship. So there's adjustments that are made. But your personality, your conscience, the way you think that all stays the same. That doesn't become new. There is a spirit on the inside of you. And upon salvation, it becomes completely filled with the Holy Spirit and resurrected, uh, brought back to life, created new. And that is the part of you that lives forever. And we'll take our personalities and all that stuff with us. We'll be ourselves for all of eternity. But it is that spirit on the inside of us that becomes new. It is that spirit that houses every promise of God. When 1 Peter 2.24 as a past tense verse says, by his stripes, you are healed. Sometimes our bodies don't line up with that right away, but in our spirit, we are healed. We got to get those promises from operating on the inside to the outside. In between our body and our spirit, we have this connector, this bridge called our soul. It's the connector. And if we're more aware of our bodies, then our mind is going to be more aware of what's happening in the natural. But as we become more aware of what the word says, and like James says, look into the mirror of what our spirit looks like, that stuff starts to transfer from our spirit and begins to work in our body. But just like our relationships with people start with our soul, our mind, our personality, that's also how we have relationship with the Lord, right? We interact with him. We talk to him. He talks back. That's called prayer. We use our minds and we begin to declare how thankful we are for everything he's done with us. We think about his goodness and that's how we have relationships. So I want to show this first graph here of the old covenant. And these pictures are kind of cheesy, but we did this on purpose because I just want this to be so simple. Can you see this? Can everybody see this? Okay. And if you're watching online, you might not can see that, but, uh, We'll, we'll have it posted online for you to go look at. So go to our social media. Okay, so there are three things there on the bottom I want you to realize. We'll start from the left. You got body, soul, and spirit. I just explained that to you guys. And then on the top, we have God. The old covenant and the new covenant were both about the same thing. Our relationship with God. They both led to the Father. That was the reason for the Old Testament law. Sin was running rampant and God said, we got to get this stuff in order because I want a relationship with you. So in the old covenant, 
This is how we related to God. It started in our soul, our mind, and then, follow that arrow, through the work of our flesh, being in order and in right standing with God. And when we got the work of our flesh in order, follow that arrow, and we had a direct line to the Lord. But what did that include? I already mentioned some of it. With our own bodies, through our own labor, we had to make sacrifices. I say we because we are grafted into this family. We are grafted into the, to, to the Jewish people. Father Abraham is the father of Christianity as well. So the folks that lived under this old covenant had to make physical sacrifices. When they messed up, when they sinned, they had to get the flesh in the right place through sacrifices, through ceremonies. And once it was done, then through their own good work, there was a line of communication and relationship to the Father. That is how the old covenant worked. And Paul said it was good. It did what it was supposed to do. It was a little bit glorious. But as soon as it even, as soon as it was given, it, the glory of that began to fade and it led to death. You see the spirit part over there? The reason that is a little bit blanked out, the reason it's a little bit transparent, is because we were born, even as a New Testament person, we're born with the spirit, but it is not connected with the Lord. In fact, it's just as sinful and dirty as our body and our mind, yet in salvation, it becomes resurrected. So really, there was no connection hardly between our spirit and God in the Old Testament, which is why it's like that. So just remember this line. Starts in your soul, goes through the good work of your own body, you could have a relationship with the Lord. Now, here is the new covenant. Show this one. Show this one, the new covenant. Do you see this one's completely reversed? The lines even go the opposite way. Why? Because God sent his son to earth. Reverse that whole line. He lived for us. He died for us. He forgave our sins. He took our sicknesses, our diseases. He took them upon himself. And as he was resurrected and we choose to believe, we believe with our mouth, we, we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart. Do you see that fire? The Holy Spirit fills us up and resurrects our spirit into a new, perfect spirit that will live forever. In fact, the Bible says our spirit looks just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit that was in Jesus comes and lives in us. So, you know, in Sunday school, we get a little bit confused because we, we say this, where does Jesus live? He lives in my heart. I love it. It's sweet. It's, it's accurate-ish, right? But it's a little bit confusing. There's not a little person that looks like Jesus living in our heart, even though it's kind of cool. Like he has a little door and a window and he waves at us when we look, right? But that's not technically what happens. I love to know what actually happens. The Bible says that when we receive salvation, yes, Jesus comes and lives in us, but it's his spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus comes and lives in us. Do we even realize that? Do we even realize the power that is there housed within us? Well, you might be saying, how come I don't feel that? How come I don't feel like the Holy Spirit's in me? Well, Paul said this. He said, flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. Did you know your flesh, your body is actually not capable of feeling the Holy Spirit? Right? I know that sounds funny. You might be thinking about, well, I know I felt the Holy Spirit. I believe we have felt effects of the Holy Spirit in our life. I can't, I've, I've been up here before and I've had somebody pray for me and I've felt the power of God so strong my knees gave out and I've fallen out. 
that's feeling the effects of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've been worshiping and, and I've been so excited. I felt like I had to run around and I felt like I had to put my hands up. I felt like I had to do something. That's effects of the Holy Spirit working. That's effects of being in the presence of the Lord. However, if you didn't feel anything when you got saved, take heart. Don't let that bother you because spit, flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. You on the inside, whether you feel it or not, have the exact same spirit that Jesus had. You have been resurrected. That's awesome. That is awesome, awesome. So now let's look like up here. So now, instead of relating to God through the good work of our body, our spirit houses the very spirit of Jesus. And our relationship with God starts there in our soul, goes through our born-again spirit, and gives us a direct line to God. It's the exact opposite of the old covenant. Do you understand? They lead to the same place, but it's the opposite. It's like, if this is point A, and I start walking or, or, or this window over here is point A, right? And I want to get to point A. I can walk that way for a really, really long time and eventually get to point A. Or I can just turn this way and walk this way and get there in 10 seconds. This is a similar thing. The two paths led to the same place. But one has been paved and there's nothing stopping me. There's nothing blocking that way anymore. There's no good work that I have to complete before I get to the Father. Now, no matter what happens in my flesh, and I mean this, no matter what mistake I make, no matter what thought I have, no matter what action I take, whether it is good or even evil, stops me from having a relationship with God. That's powerful, right? But here's something else powerful. Are actions important? Absolutely. If we choose to live a life of sin, does it stop us from having a relationship with God? It does not. Does it make everything in life way harder? Yes, it does. It doesn't stop anything on God's end, but when we choose to live lives of just depravity, listen, it puts mental blocks in our own mind that will stop us from going after the Father. He's saying, no, the path to me is clear, and we're saying, I'm just going to build a few walls, if you don't mind, Father. And he's like, no, don't build walls. I've cleared out all the walls. And we're like, no, no, I'm just going to make it really, really hard for my conscience to be clear when I come before you tonight. I just want to make it really, really hard on myself. That's what all that does. It's very important. It's very important, but here is a secret and something that so many people, I'm just going to say it, get wrong. Because what they say is what Paul said that they say. Yes, grace makes a way to the Father, yet you still have to obey all the rules. You still got to be good. You still have to do this. You still got to do that. You can't do this and still have a clear path to the Father. And that's just not the case. It's just not the case. Because look at the path to the Father. Our body has nothing to do with it anymore. So how do we get the actions in alignment? Do we just white knuckle it and decide, okay, that's the last time I ever do that? Well, that's not what the Bible says. Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he said, Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and lay aside the sin that so easily besets us. 
So he's telling us this path. He didn't say lay aside the sin, step one, and then look to Jesus, step two. No, he said step one, look to Jesus. And step two, you will lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. Go back to that, those arrows again. Go back to the new covenant. Come on, new covenant. Come on, new covenant. There we go. So it starts in our soul. It goes through our spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, right? So we look to the Father through the work of Jesus and keep following those arrows. Eventually, it gets back to the body because our behavior will come into alignment with what the Word says about our behavior faster by looking to Jesus than it could ever do with us just trying to make better decisions on our own. Here's the better decision. Look to Jesus. When you've made the biggest mistake of your life, look to Jesus. You know, even the man after God's own heart, David, who lived in the old covenant, understood this. I just read this week in the story of David. We could talk all day, especially with Mr. Rob over here, about all the details of what this meant. But here's the long and short of it. David was not supposed to take a census. He was not supposed to count how many people lived in his kingdom, but he did anyway. So the prophet shows up and he says, David, you got three choices. Number one, your punishment for doing this, which again, are we worried about being punished when we make a mistake? Jesus took that. So we are not worried about God punishing us. He will not punish us. We punish ourselves a lot of times. We got an enemy out there who's just waiting to punish us. And one of the ways he can get to us is through this living a life of sin and depravity, right? He can get to us through all kinds of stuff like that. We don't want to give him permission, right? We don't want to give our, we don't want to punish ourselves, but we are not worried as new covenant believers of God punishing us. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. That's basics, right? So the prophet shows up to David and he says, you got three choices, I think I got these down. I just read this a few days ago. I didn't write it down. He says, number one, you can be subdued and overrun by your enemies for the next three months. They'll just come and attack and keep on attacking. Number two, what else was, what was number two? I, it was something else like a, I can't remember right now off the top of my head, but it was something else like that. Like your enemies will come and take you out. The third one was the Lord will send I think it was famine. You'll have famine in the land for, for months and months. And the third one, he says, the Lord will send the angel of death to your camp. That sounds pretty bad. But you know what David said? I choose you. He says, I choose you. I'm not going to leave this up to my enemies to come subdue me. I'm not going to leave this up to the land producing crops or not. I'm going to put my fate in your hands. And the angel of death was sent and people died. But before the time was full before it was as long as God said it was. It says, God says to the angel of death, that's enough, no more. Because he's a God of mercy. And even as an old covenant believer, David knew, I put myself in your hands before I put myself in anybody else's hands. Well, how much better do we have it in the new covenant? On our worst day, look to Jesus. And we're not looking up in the clouds. No, 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 we're looking right here. The Holy Spirit is within us. He is as close to you as you are to you. He is a part of you to become one. That's why the marriage represents such a powerful thing. It represents a union in the spirit. You are one. You are one with Jesus. You are one with the Holy Spirit. 
And on your worst day, he's not abandoning you. His word is still true. In the middle of your worst mistake, he says, yeah, I still took the punishment for this. Well, I just did it again on purpose today. I took the punishment for that. The way to the Father is open. And as we look to him, our body will even line up. Our behavior will line up. We will lay aside that sin that so easily besets us as we look to Jesus. Man, that is just good, good, good news. Romans 3, chapter 9, Romans chapter 3, 19 to 20 says, Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Check. Do we all get that? Do we all get that we're guilty? I don't know if anybody in here would say, I'm all right. Y'all are guilty, but I'm okay. If you say that, then boom, you're guilty right there, right? For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. So why do we tell people? Why do we tell people, get right with God? By getting your behavior in order. Even for a non-believer, do you know that we don't get right place and right standing with God by our physical behavior? What does the Bible say? That we become saved when we believe. There is nothing in the New Testament that says we become saved when we act saved. No. None of us would look at, a, at someone walking in here today, destitute, living a life of sin. None of us would say, first and foremost, go get all that right. Come back in three days and we'll lead you in salvation prayer. No, we lead them in that moment. The crazy part is the Christian comes in and they got the hangover and they're living a life and we want to throw condemnation on them, but there's nothing different. You put your arm around your brother and you say, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? Because this... Something's not right here. God loves you and, and you have right standing with him and you're all right with him, but let's me and you talk about this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And then how about Romans 3, 27 through 28? Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So here's how I want to close with. Go back to the new covenant, little circle thing. I cannot tell y'all how many versions of this me and my friend Casey went through before we landed on this really, really simple one. I mean, there was all kinds of other ones. It was, there was little offshoots, and, and, we, and, and there was other circles, and it was very confusing. I was like, no, this isn't going to work, man. We need a precious moments looking God, and we need a brain with a heart in it, and we need um, just a circle. And uh, I think this is very simple. And like I said, I'll post this online this week. So if you're watching on the podcast or listening to the podcast or listening, go to one of our FCG social media pages, and you can look at these two graphics while you listen. Here's what I want to close with. Paul said, we put blinders over our own eyes and anybody else's when we try to give them and offer them relationship with God through the law. So hopefully we can get this today. Hopefully we can get that our job as believers and even as evangelists isn't to go out and tell people, line your behavior up. Stop doing all this stuff. 
Paul also wrote that people know right and wrong inherently on the inside. People might deny it. They might numb themselves to it, but it's there. I saw a really funny little sarcastic article this week from, the, from a, a, an account I'll follow. It had that image from the James Webb telescope that went deeper into space uh, than we've ever seen before. And the headline said, uh, humanity trying to resist sudden urge to praise whoever created this. Right? Because everybody is sharing that picture. Like, this is amazing. This is glorious. These, look at this. this. This light could be billions of years old. And that headline, wow, people are really, people are really having a sudden urge to praise and worship whoever made all this. They're saying everything except for saying, wow, what an awesome God. Right? I believe this inherent knowledge of good and evil, it is inside everybody. It wouldn't, the Bible wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. So what do we need to do? Go out and tell people what they already know or go out and tell them what they don't know? The Father just wants relationship with you. Jesus just loves you. Well, what about he loves you? What about this giant mistake I made? He loves you. What about this addiction I have? He loves you. What about I'm living, uh, my whole life is just a big lie right now. He loves you. He knows the real you and he loves you. He wants you. The prostitute about to be stoned to death. I was caught in adultery in my entire life is this. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Zacchaeus, he didn't say get your flesh in line and have a relationship. He went to his house and he sat across the table from him and he looked at him in the eyes. And Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give it all back. That is the gospel. So number one. Take this away from today. Our job is to point people to Jesus. And once they have an encounter with him, the Bible says his kindness and the Holy Spirit will lead them to repentance. So even once they become believers, is it our job to then give them the list of everything they do right and wrong? No. The Holy Spirit will lead them to repentance. Now, as we build relationships, man, I'll sit beside my brother I'll sit beside my brothers and sisters and I'll put my arm around them and I'll say, hey, what's going on? There's some stuff that I'm seeing that's holding you back. I'm seeing some behavior. What, what can we do? That's what we're supposed to confess with each other and be honest with each other. We can get to that point. But overall, it's the Holy Spirit that leads to repentance. So keep that in mind when you're speaking to people. But this is the last thing and maybe the most powerful thing I'm going to lead you with, leave you with. Remember this when you are relating to the Lord yourself. Remember this for yourself and be kind to yourself. So many of us are hardest on ourselves than anybody else. We think I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to tell them that Jesus loves them. But me, I know better. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have gotten mad at the kids that day like that. I shouldn't have raised my voice that night. I'm better than this. Here's the truth. You're not. Here's the truth. I'm not. Just like we got every good thing in our spirit that God ever gave us, we got every evil thing this world gave us in our flesh. We're all capable of the exact same things. What makes us different are choices. What makes us different from the world, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Be kind to yourself. And on your worst day, instead of self-condemnation and self-loathing, 
Look at yourself in a mirror and say, God loves you so much. Jesus just wants to be with you right now in this moment. And then just enjoy his presence. Because in your spirit, on your best day and your worst day, you look just like Jesus. And remember, we talked about that sacrifice the Old Testament priest made with the lamb. They would examine the lamb and they would say, the lamb is spotless. The lamb is worthy. And they would slaughter him and they'd be forgiven. God is still examining the lamb, not us. And when we make mistakes and we go to him, his question, is the lamb worthy? The lamb is still worthy. And as long as that's the case, we go straight to him. We have a direct line no matter what happens in our body, no matter what we do, no matter what we think, the way to him is open. And as we continuously look to him, again, instead of our own works, looking at ourselves and saying, you miserable piece of work, you can't get it right, you're addicted just like you've always been, you're making the same mistakes you always have. That's a little bit self-centered, to be honest. It's actually a lot self-centered. We think it's humility, but it's actually self-centered. Humility is saying what the Lord says about us. Looking at ourselves in the mirror on the worst day and saying, you are loved as much as you ever were. You are in just as much right standing with God as you were before all this happened. Paul said, as we do that, all of the stuff in our body will line up. It's powerful. Mary and Martha were a picture of this. Martha worked in the natural to earn her place with Jesus, yet Mary somehow just had a revelation on her place with Jesus, and she just sat at his feet, even when there was work to be done. They both were just wanting to be with Jesus, but Martha was a picture of the old ways. Mary was a picture of the new ways. Man, and we can relate so much scripture into this idea that we live in a completely reverse covenant than the old covenant. How about this? It used to be you have to receive before you can give something. The new covenant says you give and then you receive. It used to be the first are first and the last are last. The new covenant, Jesus said the last are first and the first are last. This is starting to make sense now. It's all backwards. It's all, it's actually the right way. The old way was backwards, but this is just works in a reverse way. And it's powerful. Amen? Amen. We invite the band to come up. We're going to close with just a few moments of worship. I mean, when I remember this stuff, when I remember how loved I am, I mean, all I want to do is worship. All I want to do is lift up a heart of gratitude to the Father. So let's do that together. Let's let this moment be a moment where we make a choice to instead of looking to ourselves and our own good or bad work, in this moment, make a choice to only look to Jesus, no matter what this morning was like, no matter if you had to send a text like I had to send this morning. Sorry, I wasn't trying to be mean. I was a little frustrated and it came out harshly. It was a follow-up to that. Lisa asked me to print something. I'm a very transparent pastor. She asked me to print something and my answer was like, I have a billion things to do. And then it said something like, I know that like the text stuff is not your strong point, but could you not just print this yourself? I know that's pretty bad text. I get it. You're all cringing a little bit. That was a little cringy. Just being honest. But here was my follow-up. Okay, I was frustrated. I'm sorry. I'll go print this stuff for you if you'd like. And she said something like, well, you know, it's not my strong suit. Because that's what I said. And this was a really good follow-up. 
right? This was really, really, one of my, some of my best work. I said, you know, it wasn't really negative to say that technology isn't your strong suit. I'm positive Beyonce doesn't know how to print things either, but she's pretty good at what she does. We can't complain about that, right? She can sing like crazy. Maybe she can't print stuff, but she can sing. And Lisa said, yep, I'm Beyonce. I was like, all right. It was a good follow-up, right? It was a good follow-up. So some marriage counseling. We're going to keep at this. And I got a few more weeks of things I want to talk about. But here's the main point. Man, our good works have nothing to do with our relationship with God. I believe every Christian out there would willingly say that. I understand that my good works can't save me. But then for some reason they stop and they change their view and they say, yet my bad works do have an effect on my relationship with God. It's just not true. Your good works can't save you. Your bad works can't unsave you. Once you believe in Jesus, once you believe it is all about His work and you have a direct line, 